and welcome to From the Newsroom with the Holland Sentinel. I'm reporter Arpan Lobo, and today I'm joined by our managing editor, Audra Gamble. Hi, Audra. Hey. Um, this is totally our first take, by the way. Uh, <laughs> just so everybody knows, we definitely hit record on the first this time. time. <laughs> the first time we ran this down. Anyway, we are here to talk. <laughs> our digital director, uh, Brian Vernalis is staring into the room right now because he just gave us the most quizzical look. We're sorry. We're we, terrible at our jobs. After <laughs> we told him that we didn't hit record. And oh, man, the look of shame he gave us. Oof, it was tough. Better. Anyway, we're here to talk about the Democratic debate that took place last night. Uh, Audra, you sat through the entire three hours. I did. I sat through the entire three hours. We did it for you guys. We did it for you because we know over a year away from the election probably not the yeah, highest nobody got of time priority for that, guys. yeah nobody got time but for that. we do <laughs> sadly um <laughs> anyway let, let's get into it because um there there were some key takeaways i think we we kind of uh pulled together and uh came up with so i guess we'll start with what what was uh some things that jumped out to you uh from last night's debate so this is, I mean, this is not the first debate, and it certainly won't be the last, but I think the, the difference last night um, was who was on uh, the defensive than, than in previous debates. Uh, you know, in, in the first couple, uh, Joe Biden was, was definitely the, the center of attention in terms of attacks from his uh, potential um, opponents, and... I don't really think that that was the case last night. I think the the attention has shifted to Elizabeth Warren as as more of the front runner, and because of that, the one that's fielding most of the attacks. Y- yes, I, I would agree with that. We were talking beforehand about um, perhaps Biden looks more vulnerable uh, as a moderate favorite. Perhaps other candidates who may present themselves as a centrist, maybe not as far to the left as an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders, could see Biden's uh, slipping poll numbers and could see that, hey, maybe he's not just a foregone conclusion for a moderate candidate. Maybe I could do that. So we did see more criticisms levied after Elizabeth Warren, um, who did have to play more on the defensive side and defend some of her um policies and plans uh as opposed to previous debates where she's just laying it on everybody um one thing that stood out to me last night was senator ab klobuchar who's pretty far out at this point i would really be surprised if she ended up getting the nomination um she really went after elizabeth warren she basically called her health care plan a pipe dream and warren is a proponent for uh, medicare for all and uh, not just Amy Klobuchar, but Pete Buttigieg said that, you know, he told Elizabeth Warren, he goes, you basically are assuming that 150 million, 150 million Americans aren't smart enough to pick their own health care plan. And it, it was something that was definitely not um, present in the earlier debates. Well, and there also was, was a moment from, from Klobuchar where she said, um, I can't remember if she said it to, to Warren or to, to Bernie Sanders, but she said, just because our my ideas or other candidates on this stage our ideas aren't yours doesn't mean they're not still good ideas and ones that should be listened to. Um, so, so you could definitely tell that that push to see if anyone else on that stage could could short, sort of shore up and and fill into that potential weakness that that they're seeing from from Joe Biden at the moment. And I think you definitely saw that from Klobuchar and and I'd say that uh, Pete Buttigieg also tried to do that last night. I think so. Um, when we talk about Buttigieg, 
Uh, he was very confrontational uh, for some points. He went after uh, Tulsi Gabbard and Beto O'Rourke, a pair of other candidates for uh, different different topics. He went after Gabbard for her stances on uh, American military involvement in Syria, and he went after uh, Beto O'Rourke for uh, Beto's proposed gun buyback plan. Yeah, that was a, a very heated moment between he, the two of he them. He told Beto, he goes, I don't need you to tell me about courage. And I was watching that on the TV, and I was like, oof. Yeah, it was one of those spicy. moments where you, you yeah. kind of you know, sit back for a moment. Especially yeah. during these three-hour debates, you can get a little uh, drowsy. <laughs> but uh, Mayor Pete pulled me right back in. I mean, it's, it, it shows, I think, that we have a very diverse field of candidates. I think it's a good reflection of our electorate at this sure. point because um the people voting in, in this primary probably you know all have at least a little bit of representation on there right now um from the very the, the more left um in in warren and bernie sanders to the more moderates like Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden. So we have kind of a, a, a pecking order at the moment of, you know, a, a couple at the top. We've got sort of a, a middle ground group kind of running together at the moment. But did you think that there are any people that were kind of outliers and, and on the edges of the stage that either helped or hurt their campaign significantly last night? Well, uh, Tom Steyer, who, uh, for those of you that don't know, which I'm assuming is probably most of the people <laughs> listening to this, um, Maybe not. Maybe people are just really into Tom Steyer, and I just don't know it. But anyway, he is a billionaire, former hedge fund manager, and um, last night was the first time he was a part of these debates. Um, I really couldn't find find a reason to why he should be in the next one. It was just more of the, especially at a time where uh, some of these candidates are talking about eradicating billionaires. And he is a billionaire. And when I say eradicate, I mean eradicate his wealth, not him. But uh, just to make that clear. But, like, it just seemed like he wasn't on the same plane as some of these other candidates um, in terms of why should I take you seriously. And he definitely got the least amount of speaking time, you know, of anybody else up on that stage for sure. Yes. And I, I don't think that's unfair. Sure. So, so one of the other... Um, people kind of on on the edge of getting into this debate and or you know debates further on as as their rules kind of tighten up for eligibility was Tulsi Gabbard. Did you think that she you know had it had a good light good night last night or not so much? You know she definitely had a standout moment. We alluded to it earlier, but her um, her stance on the uh, American military involvement in the Middle East uh, and particularly w- whether or not. Uh, U.S. troops should still be backing the Kurds in Syria, which is something that uh, recently stopped uh, due to uh, executive action by uh, President Trump. Um, I didn't think she was going to say that, oh, we need to get out of this, and she kept calling it a regime change war. Um, But she did. She said, uh, you know, this isn't something we need to involve ourselves in. And that was what kind of drew the ire of Pete Buttigieg, who, like uh, Tulsi Gabbard, they are both... uh, The two veterans on the the stage, right. military veterans. And um, it was something that most of the candidates deferred from her on. So at least, I mean, it stood out. Maybe to me personally, I didn't see it as a positive thing, but other viewers might have. I, I just... That drew very strong reaction. I remember Joe Biden... Um, and you mentioned this before we were recording. You said, you know, he called it a disgrace what the president has decided to do in the Middle East. So it's something that definitely drew um, a lot of criticism. I thought it was interesting, too, that, um, you know, when when you're one of the candidates that's not getting 
you know, attention in the, in the polls and that sort of thing, a, a debate is a chance to really get some name recognition. And, and so when you do have the microphone, you know, that, that time becomes even more precious. And, and one of the things that she took time to say kind of toward the end of the debate was she wanted to clarify that she is against um, uh, third trimester abortions unless, you know, there's some extenuating circumstances. And I just thought that was kind of an odd choice because at no point in the debate had that been brought up you know, that specifically as a topic or a concern. I mean, they some candidates broadly spoke about women's health and, and access to women's health care, but I just thought that was kind of an odd sort of um, moment of input when that hadn't really been the discussion surrounding that moment for her. Right. I agree with you because um, uh, the, the right to choice, the, the right to reproductive health is generally something the Democratic Party is unified and on. It's kind of a Blake, like a blanket right. statement, you know, so that they didn't focus on it much, you know, right. in the they, debate as they're trying to get these, it, these details it, it out. was, I mean, perhaps Tulsi is really pointing herself out there as a centrist, but um, it, w- it was something that perhaps we weren't expecting. Sure. I'd like to talk about um, uh, Vice President Joe Biden for a little bit. Um, we mentioned earlier that he is kind of slipping in the polls. He's not exactly the – he doesn't have a vice grip on that moderist uh, um, kind of position uh, right now. But do you, did he do anything to you that kind of made his evening stand out last night? You know, I, th- I think that he had a good night for himself. Um, we talked about, you know, that answer to um, whether we should, you know, bring troops back into Syria and, and to help the Kurds. Um, his answer, you know, I was watching his answer to that, and, and there was this moment where I, I thought to myself, you know, this is really the first time in this election cycle where I could see kind of that, that glimmer of kind of that bulldog version of him that you saw in his vice presidential debate in 2008. Um, and I, I don't know that we've seen that before because in the, in the previous debates, he would cut himself off Um when you know he, you, he could see his time you know clicking down from from the moderators and not a single other candidate on the stage was doing that he would just go well i am out of time you know and it was um kind of almost like well you know i'm i'm not going to step on anyone's toes and you know i'll be the well-behaved candidate and that's fine but then you don't get the chance to finish your sentence and and to finish your thought and you know, he really didn't do that. And, and none of the other candidates did that last night. They just all kind of went for it collectively, which was was nice to see that. Um, to the ire of the CNN I'm moderators sure. <laughs> who were constantly yes, interrupting them so. because yes. they had to fit 12 people in a three But it, I mean, it was nice to see, you know, everyone was equally passionate about, you know, distinguishing themselves from each other on that stage. You bring up that the vice president kind of appear more composed. I think one of the reasons was that, and and we talked about this, but like uh, the foreign policy aspect, he brought That's it his up. jam. Yeah. He brought it up last night. He goes, "I've been in the, in the room with Putin. I've been in the room with other foreign leaders. I've, I've been I've, in the situation, situation room, room right? Ta- you know, hours and hours and hours. And that's you know what um, what he can kind of." go back on there were times in previous debates where with the the debate would focus on domestic policy and he would visibly struggle there would be times where he couldn't defend it he's been in politics for so long he has such a, a long track record sure, that, that can be inhi- that a can hindrance be, that right. can be picked apart and other candidates did that in previous debates yeah. but last night when it became to a thing uh about what we're going to do now about certain foreign policy issues he looked better much than, stronger, than, than, yeah. it wasn't something where i 
because in previous debates I looked at it and I was like, oh, man, Joe Biden doesn't seem like he uh, he's up for it. Right. Prepped anymore. for this question. Yeah. Or, sure. Well, and I think that, you know, he and his campaign staff know that they, they know that that's kind of his sweet spot and and where he can really get the American people, you know, to trust him you know, to, to do this whole thing again, <laughs> another time around. Um, so, you know, when he has those moments, he really has to capitalize on them. Yeah. But I, I don't think he was the only candidate that did that. I think that there were um, quite a few that, you know, had some really um, well thought out answers, um, particularly to, to foreign policy, and that they, um, you know, worked really hard to, to capitalize on those moments, especially when, you know, the conversations among them about, you know, nuances of their health care plans or how they feel about, um, you know, universal basic income or, or gun buybacks, things that get a little stickier on the domestic side are not quite necessarily as as um, far apart as, as some of their stances on foreign policy may be. Right, right. Well, uh, before we wrap up, let's talk about what we'd like to see in the next debate. The next debate is in. It's a little bit further away. It's November twenty. It's a little bit. Oh, We've got some time. Just sure. over a month. It's going to be in Atlanta. Currently, only eight uh, candidates have qualified. There's a bit tighter um, uh, guidelines this time. Uh, if I can pull it up right in front of me, I believe it's uh, Biden, um, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, uh, Pete Buttigieg, Andrew Yang, and. Tom Steyer have uh, qualified for. So the, now this is based on how many people have contributed to their campaigns, right? Correct? There, there are okay. two parameters. They need to secure at least one hundred sixty-five thousand individual donors, including six hundred donors from twenty different states. Um, and then uh, the second parameter is they need to reach three percent in the polls in four DNC-approved surveys, or five percent in two DNC polls from the four earliest primary in caucus states: Iowa, New Hampshire. South Carolina and Nevada. Yeah, I mean, obviously they have some time to qualify still, so that's not set in stone. But I do think it will be nice just to have fewer people on that stage so that we can have a little bit of breathing room to talk about those more detailed plans. It's, you know, when there's 12 people on that stage, uh, it, you know, it's it's no fault of the candidates that that's how it's set up. But there were times when, you know, they would pan to someone else and and you know they may not have talked for a while but i would go oh right tulsi gabbard's here or <laughs> i mean and it's not you know i'm not not trying to say like they're forgettable but when you just have that many people on a stage it's it's hard to fight over airtime right right um it is worth mentioning though uh for the four candidates who were on stage last night who I didn't mention before, and all of them have met the donor requirements, so they just need to get up in the polls ah, okay. to qualify. That's uh, Julian Castro, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, and Tulsi Gabbard. Gotcha. Um, so looking forward to that, I, I do have to kind of disagree with where the DNC kind of stands on the, these requirements to get in, because I think at a certain point, one thing I noticed last night while just scrolling through Twitter and just looking at this, people were saying, I can't keep up with this. And if you're not in the weeds like, you know, the two of us or some other people are, it's very difficult to kind of keep up with all this. And you might get fatigued before we're even a year away from the election. Oh, for sure. I mean, even people that are, you know, really entrenched in it. And, and I say that as, you know, we both push up our political nerd glasses over here that, I mean, you know, it was three hours last night of, of kind of nonstop 
um, back and forth with each other on, on very important, difficult issues, but it definitely is fatiguing. Right. Pe- people have jobs, man. They right. Can't, they can't be staying up to 11 <laughs> to watch these things. It's true. It's you know? true. <laughs> it's, it, it's something where uh, I would like to see. I mean, there were there were so many candidates last night that I was just looking at. And I was like, you're not going to be a, uh, like a, uh, an X factor come, come next November. You will not be the one carrying that Democratic flag. I really think, you know, you should, you know, be a little selfless and say, I'm, I'm going to close my campaign, but I'll continue to support or I'll com- continue to voice my opinion. That, that's sure. fine. You can say about what you believe, but if you're going to go up there and just talk about, um, you know, what you're going to do um, if when you become president and you're not going to become president, it, you know, it's it's just something that struck me down. I'd like to see. I think we came up with this number earlier. I came up with this number earlier. Maybe six, I think, is a good number. I feel like it's too soon for six, it but might, I, I see where be. you're going. Maybe we can but... go with the eight that have qualified now. Sure. We could probably swap Tom Steyer out for something because Tom, <laughs> you know, you know, congratulations on being a billionaire and all, but it just doesn't seem like you're going to win this. Uh, Amy Klobuchar last night kept on talking about when I'm president, when I'm president, when I'm president. Maybe she's trying to speak this into existence. Wishful I, thinking, right? Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know, man. It's, well, it's I, tough. I thought that it was, um, you know, as they're trying to to qualify for these next debates, and and you know, those poll numbers are ever important. I thought it was kind of fascinating that we had sort of two camps of of candidates, and by two camps, I mean everyone else, and then Cory Booker. Um, <laughs> in that, you know, everyone else was saying, you know. We're trying to, you know, let's talk about how I'm different than so-and-so. And, you know, I think that my policy is, is more practical or, no, we need to shoot, you know, for, for these big ideas. And, and there was kind of that kind of, you know, scruffle among them. And then Cory Booker, at least two times, if not three, kind of made everyone take a step back and say, well, hang on. Uh, you know, we all need to be careful about the words that we're using against each other. We don't want to give, you know, the Republicans more fodder when, you know, when it's their turn to make attack ads and, and all of that of, you know, whoever gets chosen. Um, and I, I, I have a friend that works at another newspaper um, on the other side of the state. And she she tweeted that she was waiting for that that girl at the end of Mean Girls to come out where she says that she just wants everyone to get along and, you know, play nice in the school. Um, and I, I just think that it's, you know, while I understand what Cory Booker is saying, you know, in in principle, I'm not sure that it's quite the the time yet for kumbaya, when when everyone is trying to, um, you know, distinguish themselves from each other in a in still a pretty packed field. Right, and this is the same Cory Booker who was, you know, firing shots over at Joe Biden in the like in, in the literal last debate, like the one they had before last night. <laughs> Cory Booker like was not holding back, so sure. you know I don't know what happened in that one month that you know maybe changed his mind. But it's not like Cory Booker has never attacked another candidate. Sure. Um, let's talk about maybe a policy item that we didn't see last night or we saw very briefly last night that we'd like to see uh, on November twentieth. Yeah, I mean, you know, with that many candidates and there's just kind of a limited amount of time, you can't touch on every topic that you'd like to. Um, I know that that CNN and New York Times got a little bit of um, flack for asking a question about um, unusual friendships, like across the aisle, um, referencing the whole um, Ellen DeGeneres, George Bush football game situation instead of asking about climate change, which wasn't touched on at all. So um, I think that, you know, those sorts of um, kind of hot button issues that 
would maybe be of more interest to everyone than who their best buds are um, will definitely be kind of top of the list of things that we need to talk about next time around. Yes, I I, I agree with that because, you know, as much as I love my Ellen versus everybody (laughs) beefs, uh, I think the climate change is is a bit more important to uh, hit on. Um, I would have there there were kind of allusions uh, to it, but I think I think there could have been more sure. uh, uh, discussions about the uh, kind of the racial divide that um, is going on and is as flared up in, in recent weeks with um, some of the events taking place across the country. I think it's important that these candidates and they may they may not have a plan for it, but. It would be nice to hear that they're willing to listen. Sure. Um, and and we did hear it kind of be touched on a little bit when um, candidates were asked about their stance on, on Andrew Yang's idea of a universal base income, because one of his um, you know thought processes behind that is to um, lesser the, the income inequality gap, which sometimes, um, you know, is, is also considered a racial issue. Um, so. You know, there were little bits and pieces, but but I agree with you that there are some domestic issues that I would like to see kind of um, touched on as much as there were some foreign policy issues that got attention this time around. Right, right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. But uh, thanks again for listening. And um, for Audra, I am Arvan. Again, this is From the Newsroom with the Holland Sentinel. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.